old yeller where the red fern grows, sounder. These are the books about dogs that they give us to read in school. Why? They are so sad. Uh, We're reading sad books about dogs in school and then going home to our happy dogs at home. This was my experience. And after doing this project, it sounds like the experience of the people, over 29 folks from around the country who contributed stories to this Daily Fieldworks' largest project ever. Hello, I'm Sarah Carter, and this is Old Dogs, a collection of stories about old dogs. It's part of a larger storytelling project called Daily Fieldwork, and I'll give you info on how to connect with that project at the end of the show. But for now, I just have three short notes, and we'll jump right in. Number one, big thanks to everyone who shared a story about their dog. Please know that you honor your dog with the telling of your story. And now we all get to think about your dog when we see things in our lives that remind us of your story. Two, these stories are broken into four sections, um, roughly by theme. I put them all together in one program so that nobody had to fiddle with their phone if they were listening in the car. Um, But they're also good for little short doses when you're working around the house. And three, the settings in which these stories were recorded is as diverse as the stories themselves. I did my best to get the volume as even as possible, but you might have to do a little EQ yourself on your headphones or in your car. Thanks so much for submitting these stories. I hope you enjoy it. The first section is entitled, Who Let the Dogs Out? Um, While all the stories in this collection are memorable, those in this first section are driven by each dog's personality, compulsion, or otherwise spirited behavior. Um, I hope you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. The storytellers and dogs in this section are number one, um, Catherine from Tennessee is talking about Steve. Two, Bernie from Tennessee is talking about her dog Sam. Three, Debbie from Norfolk, Virginia is talking about Clementine. Four, John from Virginia Beach is talking about Shaggy. Five, Dasha from New Hampshire is talking about her dog, Smokey. And six, Camden from Virginia Beach is talking about her dog, Scout. Enjoy! When I first moved to Asheville, North Carolina in 2008, I rented a room in a house that was home to Steve and Repo, two old dogs. Um, Repo was a gentle and regal, slow-moving soul. Uh, and Steve, on the other hand, was a wily little three-legged rat terrier whose sole purpose in life was to eat. Uh, he became a three-legged dog because he wanted the food that was in a bear trap so badly when he was a younger pup. Anyway, uh, Steve could find food anywhere and make anything into food if he was hungry enough. 
He definitely ate his own poop, and he often escaped and would be found all over town with the crust punks where he could always get fed. I didn't live there too long, but it was the first time I'd ever lived with dogs, and so I treasured it naturally. I would call Steve to me anytime I could, and I developed two ways to always get his attention. The first was by calling out Steve, and his little stumpy tail would just go berserk, almost vibrating instead of wagging. And the second was by just tapping my foot on the kitchen floor, especially if food had dropped, and he would just come kathunk, kathunk, kathunking from wherever in the house with his three legs. Uh, Just before he died, like a couple days before he died, he went on an eating rampage, and it's like he wanted to go out fat, dumb, and happy. So I used to have a dog named Sam. I got her when I was in college. Um, Sam wasn't really a normal dog. I had a friend say she was probably a crow or cat or something like that in another life. She was pretty eccentric, but she was like my best little buddy. Um, She had stomach problems and her butt just smelled so bad sometimes. Uh, She also didn't like to be pet and would always want to be around people that didn't want to be around her. Like, I remember she would always go and lay down next to my friend Stuart, who was deathly allergic to her. (laughs) Um, I think she just knew those people were not going to mess with her and she could just chill with them. Um, Sam was really smart and she really, really loved a few people. But one thing that she hated was babies. (laughs) Lots of dogs don't like kids. Lots of screaming, grabbing, and hitting. But Sam really, really didn't like kids. She used to sit on the back of my old roommate's couch in our living room and watch the street um, during the day. And one day, um, she was growling. I was in the kitchen, and I heard her growling really mean-like. And I said, Sam, what are you growling at? Is the mailman? Is that the mailman? And then I looked out the window and I saw a lady pushing a baby carriage and Sam just started barking and she was so mad. Like I'd never seen her that mad. I don't know why, but she just really hated that baby. Um, yeah, it was very funny. Sam never actually lived to be old. We had to put her down when she was only four. Bless her little heart. I would have really loved to hang with old Sam. She probably would have either mellowed out or just gotten more and more and more crotchety. (laughs) Um, Either way, I still miss Sam. After our corgis passed away, we got a basset hound. We had not planned on getting a basset hound, but our friend Mr. Bob had gotten one from the pound, and I figure his wife wouldn't let him keep her, so that's why he pressured us to take her and of course my girls were ready for another dog since our corgis had passed. And we wound up with a basset hound that we named Clementine. Old Clem came with a lot of baggage. Basset hounds have oily coats which make them shed water which is a good thing. But they also get very smelly. And within a half hour after giving her a bath the basset hound smell would return. 
Plus, she had long ears that food and anything else could get caught in, so that wasn't a great feature. Um, and she was not the brightest dog we ever had. She would go to sleep on the front steps, forget where she was, and wind up rolling right down the stairs when she woke up. Her most prominent feature was that she was a runner, and that's probably how she wound up in the pound in the first place. She would take off running at any given opportunity. Open the gate, she was a goner. Usually, though, we could go get her, pick her up. Well, all we had to do was open the door. She'd climb up in the car and be happy to go back home. So she wasn't just trying to get rid of us. She just liked to wander. Um, we had a fence. We have still do a fence around our yard that is part of it is wire fence. And then there's a privacy fence behind it. And Clem, if she couldn't get out the gate, then she would take a hike over the fence. She would climb up the wire fence, hurl herself over the back fence, and go into Miss Estrada's yard. Um, then she would take herself through the doggy door into Miss Estrada's sunroom and take a nap on her bed um, out there, the chaise lounge. But it actually turned into a nap on her bed when she was able to get over the blocker at the kitchen door and go into Miss Estrada's bedroom and jump up on it. And that's where Miss Estrada found her one day when she came home from working at the SPCA. Clem was, um, Clem was stretched out on the bed, taking a wonderful nap with her stinky ears thrown across Miss Estrada's pillow. And from then on, she wasn't so friendly about just calling us to tell us she knew where uh, Clem was. Um, unfortunately, all of those back troubles eventually led to her demise, but um, we had her for a few more years after that. One of the funniest episodes with Clem was that she had this ugly um, cyst on top of her head. And so she wasn't a, a very pretty dog anyway with her long bloodshot um, eyelids. Um, but when the cyst came up there, it was just looked so cartoonish, I thought about getting it off. But I didn't have to because uh, Clem was following us through the back door one day and the storm door shut right on her little head, right on top of her disc uh, cyst. It didn't hurt her head, but it did knock her cyst off. So that saved us some money at the vets. And she looked a whole lot better after that. So Clem, I don't know how she was when she died, eight or 10, I guess. And she was a good old girl and we loved her. And I guess I'll just end by saying, rest in peace, Clementine Carter. Hey, Sarah. Here's a little story about Shaggy, our little Westie, who, uh, and this is a sad story, but it's also bizarre. So Shaggy had a sister named Sam, and they all hung out um, and lived at my brother's house. And one day, my brother let Shaggy out. And, um, like he did every morning, Shaggy was just hanging out, running around, sniffing around. And then all of a sudden, 
a crow flew into the sliding door and started pecking at the door. My brother looked outside and poor Shagadoodle was hanging out in the pool on his back just trying to stay afloat. My brother jumped into the pool, fully clothed, grabbed Shaggy, warmed him up, and got him in good spirits. And we were so grateful for that crow. But exactly one year to that date, Shaggy wound up jumping in the pool again, and there was no crow to save him. Um, But he lived a good long life. It's just really bonkers. I don't remember the date. I could find it. But exactly one year to the date. Okay, well, there's my bummer dog story. Love you. Hi, Sarah. This is Dasha. And here is the tale of Smokey's Saga. I had originally recorded a much longer Um, tale of the duck encounter which happened on Friday where he got lost in the muck and the mire at dusk for like half an hour and completely ignored me and just did what he wanted with the poor duck family that lives in our little wetland and crosses the road every few days. Uh, Well, Smokey got to them, and I think they're all okay because I saw them a couple days later just swimming about. But I was not okay because he got fully submerged in muck and mire, and that came with, like, all the detritus that lives in a swamp, and there were, like, gnats buzzing all around him and the fur, the mud on his fur, I should say. Um, And it was just a mess, and he had to take a very shameful bath. Um, I thought that would be the whole story I'd send, but turns out, like, in the few days after all that transpired, we we had many more close encounters with wildlife uh, here um, in New Hampshire. I think what's happening is that we have a drought, and animals are traveling more and are being more active looking for water in places where they usually might not so a lot of them are coming around our yard because we're surrounded by um, wetlands which probably hold like the last remnant of water other than the ponds and streams and stuff Um, anyway I'll try to keep this short but um, and I'll set up a little background Smokey is a, a pit bull rescue mix type of guy he was born in texas and abandoned at a shelter there and a rescue from here in new hampshire brought him up and we met him and fostered him and basically couldn't let him go so he has stayed with us now for about a year and he's a very funny rambunctious stubborn little guy um And he loves animals. So the day after uh, the tale of the ducks in the muck and the mire, he, let's see, came across a turtle that he tried to pick up, but was too scared to do so, and I had to chase him away. He got stung by a wasp during a training session with our 
<laughs> with our trainer in the Walmart parking lot. And she panicked a lot more than I did. And she ran to her um, 2022 Subaru Outback and procured a ice pack and first aid kit. And she very diligently tried to wrap up his hind leg where she thought he had gotten stung. And of course, he wriggled his way out of every bandage and ice pack that she had. Turns out later, it wasn't that leg that was stung at all. It was the front leg. Um, and he swelled up and kind of got zooted out. And I gave him some Benadryl and he was fine the next day. Um, so the day after the wasp encounter, my little man got skunked up on the slope behind our house because I mistakenly let him out um, at night before I went out and he jolted up and within a millisecond was pawing at the ground and sputtering and spitting and basically I, f I kind of freaked out because I thought he was um, killing something which he did last year he caught a baby bunny and was kind of like smashing it to the ground and it was a very gruesome very sad sight I thought he was doing it again but then the smell hit me it's like burnt rubber and ammonia I'd never really smelled a skunk that close up before. But little guy got skunked right between the eyes. He was, um, his eyes were really wet and he was drooling everywhere. And of course I freaked out about rabies and about uh, the smell. And the first thing he did when I let him back inside was rub up all along the couch because that's what he likes to do. He's trying to get the scent off, I guess. And then we took another very shameful bath um, and he smells fine now except for like one very pungent spot right between his eyes on his muzzle. Um, okay, the same weekend he also spooked turkeys and he spooked some ravens and was being general, generally a menace. So we are tightening how vigilant we are around him um, with him in the yard. Um, and it was a close encounter weekend and we are learning and getting better and learning to coexist with all of our wild friends. And I think that's my story. And, uh, I hope you all can come visit someday. Okay. Um, I'm signing off with Smokey. Bye. Hey y'all. This is Camden Sanford from Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I'm going to be talking about my dog, Scout. We love her to death, but she's not exactly very bright. One time, she took herself for a little jaunt around the neighborhood and ended up on somebody's back porch. It was just sitting there for a while until we figured out where she was. Apparently, that house is the house of her dog boyfriend or something. I don't know. But yeah, we love her to death. She's not super smart. She's very active, though always keeps us on our toes. Section two is called, if you can't run with the big dogs, parentheses, stay on the porch, parentheses. I don't think that's trademarked. I hope it's not trademarked. Uh, the dogs in this section are farmers, folklorists, spiritual guides, mentors. They play surprising or important roles in work or personal growth and all shine in their own way. The dogs and storytellers in this section are Kathy, talking about Winnie, and I'll be reading that as an email submission. 
Um, Nicole in Tennessee talking about Daisy May. Jen in California talking about Nell. Joy in Alaska talking about Spot. Sydney in Tennessee talking about Montana. Uh, My mom, Debbie, in Virginia talking about Bad Boy. Emily in Richmond talking about Sadie. And Brenda in Tennessee talking about Ollie. This story is from Kathy. She's writing about her dog, Winnie, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm just going to read it as it is in the email. Hi, Sarah. I wanted to tell you about my very favorite thing that old Winnie does. Um, You know she is pretty Instagram famous for a few of her amazing quirks, like sitting like a chubby retired man on the beach in Florida and running without bending her knees and serving up some devastating side eye and loving to be swept with a broom, especially on the side of her tummy. Obviously, the perfection just never ends. But my very favorite thing she does, and it's especially wonderful now that she is blind, is lounge on the front porch and delight in doing absolutely nothing. Sometimes I worry that she doesn't have enough fun or stimulation now that her eyesight keeps her from her old favorites, like long hikes in the woods and playing with the ball chucker. But she reminds me over and over again that sitting outside and just being is such a rich inner experience for her in her old age. She can't see them, but she loves to hear the people go by and and smell the air and feel the breeze. I like watching her little triangle ears do a subtle directional shift as she picks up a faraway sound, or watching her raise her chin a little as her licorice bit nose wiggles away to take in a new scent. She will just sit out there for hours, content as she can be. She wears a bandana now that says, be kind, I'm blind, and people will stop for a moment to read it and say hi to her, or show their friend, or take a picture, and it's just the sweetest thing ever. Sometimes I sit with her, and the rule is no reading, no writing to-do lists, no phone scrolling. We are doing an important activity, and that is sitting. I just love how old dogs know how to be valid through every phase of their life and do it with such grace and humor. They are the greatest gift. Very best from Kathy and Winnie. I'm going to tell a story about my old dog, Daisy May while my new dogs are barking in the background. Sorry. Um, my girl, Daisy May, she grew up gardening with me. And um, she would just stay in the greenhouse with me all spring, be in the field with me all summer. And my favorite food is okra. So we always had this massive okra patch. And when she was about 13, um, she was out in the garden with me and I was picking okra and she fell asleep in the okra patch. So I was like, well, she's in the shade. I'm just going to leave her here to nap. And I went inside to do a few things. When I came back out, something looked very different. All the okra was gone. She had grabbed the plants at the base one by one and ripped with all of her might till she had pulled every single plant from the ground. 
and was sitting there happily, happily munching on tiny okra pods. I was so furious, but it was so funny. Uh, I just had to laugh, and I don't think I'll ever, ever get over that one. Okay, so <clears throat> from 2016 to the start of the pandemic, I was blessed to have the sweetest, funniest, chillest beagle named Nell, who literally wouldn't hurt a fly, but was terrified of children. Um, and there's a lot of good Nell stories out there. Um, and I hope that everyone has their own Nell story that they love and adore. Um, but she really, really, when I think of what to share, I think about the very earliest days of us getting to know each other and Nell just totally becoming my road dog. Um, and <laughs> I also think about my like total naivete about how to be a dog owner and how to really truly care for a little creature beyond myself for the very first time. Um, I adopted Nell from a weird shady uh, adoption uh, outfit on the North Shore of New Orleans. I was living in Jackson, Mississippi at the time and splitting my time down in New Orleans every weekend. Um, and I kind of was just like scrolling through, um, pet Tinder <laughs> or what's called, um, what is it called? Um, pet finder. <laughs> um, and I found this other beagle. I went to go see this beagle and I ended up seeing Nell, who was a different beagle and instantly knew she was for me and she was my little buddy. So I adopted her and right around a time that I actually had a ton of little work trips planned, um, mostly like traveling the state of Mississippi where I was working um, for the Arts Commission there as a... Um, uh, public folklorist um, and managing their folk and traditional arts program. So I would travel around the state and meet with different artists and um, uh, cultural practitioners and um, community folks and happen to have several little <laughs> trips, especially around the Delta that I needed to do the next week. I was totally unprepared about how to, you know, uh, how it would work, like kind of getting someone to watch Nell at my house or leaving her with a um, dog watcher or um, like dog boarding or something like that. And I also was like kind of broke. Um, <laughs> it was not being paid well at that job. Um, and so I kind of just like took her with me everywhere secretly and I also took her with me on my little fieldwork trips throughout the delta even though you're not supposed to bring a dog in a rental car <laughs> I would bring her up and I remember specifically visiting with a few people in the delta one being this really interesting gentleman who <laughs> 
lived literally across from Parchment Farm Penitentiary and I think may have been a guard there at different years. Um, and he would make these fun little like whirly gig type metal muffler men type creatures. Um, and I brought Nell and like Nell continued to just be like such an interesting like icebreaker. Um, not only with this gentleman, but with like several other people who I visited with, I was so nervous about bringing her with me. Um, but like, she just like loved meeting new people and loved exploring. I obviously was like nervous about <laughs> what she might do or like tear up or whatever, but um, she did great. And she really, really, really like opened up windows of conversation and made people feel at ease in really interesting ways, even though I was like low-key nervous about it. <laughs> and just made like my drives around the Delta, like just so lovely and sweet and was such a good road companion. Um, I remember also taking her to meet with someone in like where McCarty's Pottery is in the Delta. I'm forgetting the name exactly of that town. Um, but I took her to meet with a uh, an artist who ran a little antique store and I remember being so nervous about Nell like potentially like knocking something over or peeing on the floor which she did that a lot but amazingly she did not do that at all for this um, but again like just totally like disarmed people and was such a wonderful companion um, when like say, pulling out a recorder and, like, conducting a little interview with someone um, or making them feel at ease to take photos of them. Um, so, like, long story short, like, if you're doing field work, if you're doing interviews, um, bring, bring a, like, chill dog. <laughs> like, bring a dog. I know not everyone loves dogs, but I would say, like, the majority of my experience, people were, like, totally willing to open up on a new level because I had my sweet little Nell buddy with me, and it was memorable, and it, like, built really sweet rapport, and um, that's my story about Nell. Thanks. May she rest in peace. I used to spend a lot of time sailing, about six months out of the year, mostly in the Caribbean. And in 2015, me and my friends stopped by Laguna de Bluefields, which is an island in Panama. And we were specifically stopping at this island because we heard on the far end from where we had anchored in the lagoon was a small town that had internet access. And we were about to make a voyage and really needed to know what the weather was going to be doing so we decided to anchor in the lagoon and do a jungle trek across the island to try to find the small town with wi-fi so we could get access to the weather before our voyage so we made landfall and there's just like one little hut on land and trails that led up into the jungle and we weren't sure 
which direction the town really was in. There's one main path through the jungle that looked more traversed than the other ones. So we decided to start in that direction. And before I even made it to the jungle trail, this old, mostly white, super skinny dog came up and he had a black spot right in the middle of his head, right above his eyes. And so obviously I named him Spot. And whenever I spend a lot of time around on boats out to sea, I miss dogs a lot because they're super awesome to hang out with. So I was stoked to see a dog, instantly made friends with him. Started walking towards the forest, jungle rather, and um, started our trek across the island. And on this main path, there are all these other trails that go off of it. And some of them look as established as the main path. And some of them go a little ways into the jungle and then dead end. Some of them seem to go much, much further. So we were pretty confused as we make our way through the jungle as to what the proper path to the specific little town that we're trying to get to is. And so Spot obviously joins us and he's excited and coming along. And every time we would veer from the main path, he would stay on the main path, kind of like shaking his head like no that's the wrong way and sometimes he'd let me get like 20 feet down the wrong way and he'd come towards me and then run back to the main path and so I started finding out pretty quickly what was right and what was wrong just by following Spot's lead just letting him lead we put him in the front and followed behind him and he kept us on the right path the whole way and I had caught more fish than we could eat. We don't have refrigeration on the boat. And I speared a bunch of uh, mackerels and I cut them into thin strips and hung them from the stanchions on the boat to dry them out. So I've got a wad of dried fish jerky in my pocket. And as we go through the jungle, I'm handsomely compensating compensating uh, this little dude's spot the whole way and he is just so friendly and so stoked and keeps us on the right path all the way across the jungle and when we finally he did end up leading us all the way miles through the jungle deterring us from the wrong path all the way to the village and when we got there I gave him all the fish jerky I had and he was such a sweet such a skinny little dude and I still think of him fondly to this day, but he was an old head and falls perfectly in this category of old dogs. Here's to you, Spot. Hope you had a great life. I am submitting my old dog story about my childhood dog, Montana, a beautiful orange golden retriever. Um, we got when I was about seven, and when I made it to middle school, uh, I went to school a couple blocks from my home. So I was a latchkey kid and I walked to school every day and came home every day from school. And Montana, not only was he always waiting for me at home when I got there, but he was often waiting for me on the playground at PE um, because even though we had a fence, Montana refused to stay in it. And every day he crawled out of there and made his way around the neighborhood saying hello to his friends. Um, and one of those stops was coming up to the Glendale playground and hanging out with all the kids from during PE hours. <laughs> and um, everybody knew him and loved him and all the administration sort of, you know, looked the other way because he was a sweetheart. Um 
And one day I was sitting at lunch and my PE teacher came rushing in and she's like, Sydney, you've got to call your dad. You've got to call your dad. Montana's here. And they just called the pound. Uh, Apparently another dog had shown up and this was like a true stray who wasn't like as friendly and was causing some trouble, I guess, unfortunately. And so um, the office had finally um, decided to call the pound, which is so sad. Um, I hope that little guy found his home. But with Montana being there too, we were very worried. So I rushed to the principal's office and called my dad. And of course, you know, urgent seventh grade Sydney, you've got to come immediately. And my dad dropped everything and he drove over to the school, hoping to pick Montana up before the pound got there. And when I got there, Montana was nowhere to be found. Um, and everyone had been like, he was just here. Um, so, but we couldn't find him. So my dad, my dad, um, knew Montana's rounds as we called them. Um, and so on his way home to see if Montana had made it home, uh, he stopped at all of the various neighbors and friends that Montana would play with. So there were the little boys that I babysat who were not school age yet, who are always home in the afternoon. He, and when he pulled up there, you know, the mom said, oh, Montana was just here, but he just, you know, he, he went, he's not here anymore. He just left. On to the next house, on to the next house. Um, last house was always Mrs. Bogle, who lived across the street from us, an octogenarian who um, made sure to have a slice of American cheese for him every day. Of course, nope, he had, you know, was just there, but he was not there anymore. And so sure enough, as my dad turned into the driveway, there's Montana just hanging out on our back porch, just fine as dandy, um, just chilling out, waiting for us. And as my dad likes to say, um, just, you know, one step ahead of the law the entire way. Uh, so he lived up to his true cowboy potential. Um, his name was Montana because I was obsessed with cowboys at seven and um, really loved the state of Montana where I thought all cowboys lived. So, um, but yeah, one step of the, ahead of the law all the way. That good old Montana, good old boy. The good kind of good old boy, you know, like a good boy. Okay, I, I want to tell you the story about Bad Boy. Bad Boy wasn't a bad boy. He was a good boy. And he was the first person who greeted uh, my dad when he came back from World War II because nobody was coming. Nobody knew he was coming home uh, as early as he got out. And he had ridden the bus to Birmingham and uh, probably on to Gouin. And the only way he could get out to my mom and dad's, they didn't have a car at the time, um, was to ride with the, um, the mail carrier. And so he offered to give him a lift. And he was um, g- taking the mail over, I guess, to Hamilton at the time from Gouin. And he let dad out at the end of this long road that he had to walk down. And of course it was pitch black, no lights on the side of the roads or anything. And he got close to Mama Nick and Papa Nick's house. They always left the front door open. They weren't afraid of anybody bothering them. It was a different time in the world back then. And the screen door was open. Bad Boy was laying up on the porch. He was a big old black dog is the only way I've, um, I've ever heard him described. And a wonderful and faithful guard dog. So my dad uh, came walking on up just, I don't know, thinking Bad Boy wouldn't, um, would notice him right away, um, or recognize him right away, but uh, Bad Boy started growling. And then Daddy said, Bad Boy? 
and he immediately stood up and started twitching his tail and running toward daddy and was just so thrilled to see him. And that was such a happy day or happy night. Everybody got up and, and came and they all were rejoicing about my dad getting to come home and even old bad boy who got to be the greeter at the door. It's not uncommon for you to hear me say that Sadie and I are soulmates. I know that that's uh, somewhat of a cliche, um, but when I use it, I'm kind of I'm communicating that I think that her and I share pieces of the same soul, um, and that we're here together, sharing space on on the same time and in the same realm, and we're both elevating each other and pushing each other to grow to be our best selves. Um, when I first adopted her, um, she was very scared and very uh, shy and didn't have a lot of confidence. She'd been previously abused, and I used to say that, you know, I was the, the older version of this soul, and and I was here to boost her, to elevate her, to give her confidence so that she can move on in the universe, a stronger and more confident version of herself, a better version. And um, now almost nine years together, I can confidently say that she is definitely the version of us that is closer to enlightenment. She, she She has something figured out about the way the world works and the way to move without friction to enjoy life. Um, I think about all the things she's taught me and all that she's given me. I don't know. She's, she, her loving me has enabled me to love myself as cliche again as that is, but it's true. There's something powerful about loving a dog because you're never, you're never insecure. You're not. There's never this possibility that you're coming on too strong, that you're you're smothering them, that your love is too much. Um, she's given me the confidence to do things like walk alone in the woods because I always know that she's right at hand, and you know, turned me into someone who who hikes daily by herself. <laughs> That's her in the background. <laughs> She's always kind of nearby. Never, not like she's clingy to me. She's just kind of always aware. We're aware of each other. Um, but I would say that, yeah, a decade later, almost a decade later, I think Soulmate still describes the bond and love that we have for each other. Um, I don't know who I'd be without her. Okay, I, first ready? of all, I can't believe, yes. Okay. I can't believe our, oh, yes. Oh, I know. Across the Rainbow Bridge. Yes, he has. Yes. It was sweet, it was time. But the thing about Ollie, even when he could barely get around, he still, like, stood at the edge of the porch and did his best to wag his tail and yes. his little nose up, you know. <laughs> it, it just, he always, had, you know, that's one of the things I love about Maybe not all dogs, but it seemed like is they ha- have such joy in the moment, you know. Yes. Uh, and and Ollie was just perfect for that. So I don't. Ollie was a full-grown dog, but very young when we got him. Mm-hmm. 
we don't know. Our our sense of time isn't very good. But we think he was like 19 or 20 when he died. Oh, my So he was here for a long time. Uh, but uh, just to be chronological, he loved to chase our car when he was young. And at one point on my way to work, on the driveway, he sort of caught it, and oh, no. I broke his leg. Oh, no. And I felt so awful and went, you know, took him to the vet and all that stuff. So he always had a crooked leg. Mm-hmm. It never seemed to bother him all that much. Mm-hmm. But there it was. And uh, it was always a reminder of uh, my brutality. <laughs> or his tenacity. And his tenacity. <laughs> and his, at that time, when he was young, his joy in chasing things, you know. Yes. So, uh, but he was a great dog. The other thing, so he, just to was a a black and white sort of shepherd mix uh, dog um and he did have the unfortunate tendency that uh he I think he liked to herd small children like 2 and 3 year olds and would occasionally uh direct a little nip in their direction so we had to keep him away from the potlucks and things yes. I mean he never was he I never heard him get angry at anyone. Yes. Uh, you know, it was just like, this is what I need to do because mm-hmm. here you are and you should be over there. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, he was a great dog. He also, was so funny, in our old house, we had a big green leather chair in the corner. It was a huge overstuffed chair, mm-hmm. which... Uh, I always had to sit completely up in the seat because it, mm-hmm. it was way too big for me to put my legs on the floor or anything. Yes. And I'd be sitting there reading. This was the spot. Mm-hmm. And Ollie would come and sit on the floor. And he'd put one foot up on the seat of the chair and look up. And then he'd put another foot, his other four foot, so both four feet were on the seat of the chair by my legs. And then one hind leg would come up. <laughs> And then the other hind leg, and he'd scramble <laughs> up into the chair, and immediately what he loved was to lie on his back like a baby oh my and be held in the chair. He just loved that. Oh my but, and that's something, actually, we kind of couldn't do the last few years because yeah. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. But anyway, he just, he'd just get up there and, and lie there like a baby. And, but it was so, you know, this whole, like, I'm doing this so gradually, she'll never notice. She'll never notice. <laughs> and the third leg was always the one that always got me, you know. <laughs> because anyway, uh, he loved to get up there. Found dog, brown dog. The stories in this section are about dogs who were found by their owners, or who helped their owners find themselves, or about dogs that are actually brown. The readers in this section are Diana. Originally from St. Charles Parish, Louisiana, now in Maryland, talking about Bucky Brown and sharing a story about Reagan. Heidi from Norfolk, talking about Duncan. Chris from Alaska, now in Nashville, talking about Jewel. Becky from North Carolina, talking about Gibson. Kylie in Nashville, talking about her dog Olive, Kelly in Nashville talking about Frankie, Laura 
in Oakland talking about Major and Kathy in New Hampshire talking about Teddy. Enjoy. My parents had a dog named Bucky Brown and my dad would always say when people asked what kind of dog it was, well, he's a North American brown dog. Even though that's not a real type of a dog. But um, Bucky was just a brown dog. He was perfect. He was like a big old muffin. And he would run very fast. And so my dad would have to get on his bike and hold the leash. Because Bucky would run too fast. And my dad couldn't keep up with him. So he had to ride his bike. And Bucky would pull him down the street. And it was wonderful. The end. When I lived in Mississippi, I had a friend named Reagan. And one time we were at this person's house and they were complaining about how they had fleas in the house and um, they couldn't keep the fleas off the dog. And Reagan just got this really thoughtful look on her face and looked and said, well, we just dip our little dog. And that phrase has lived rent free in my head for 20 years. And every time I think of any dog anywhere, Her voice just comes into my head and says, well, we just dip our little dog. The end. We picked up Duncan from Dunkin' Donuts one Saturday morning out of the back of a truck. He was a random dog um, that was brought to us. Magically, we named him Duncan while picking up our dozen donuts for the weekend. Duncan lived a long life. I don't have any photos of Duncan. But I do remember the rug that Duncan would sometimes get sick on towards the the end of his life because he no longer could see, and it was a green shag rug. That's the story of Duncan. In the Dalton family, we always had a lot of cats and dogs uh, throughout my whole upbringing my childhood home because we just kind of had a home where animals just kind of showed up. Uh, But the last two dogs that we had were both very old. Uh, We had brown dogs and we had his daughter Morgan. They were both part chow, just scruffy mutts and Brown dog was really grumpy. He was really aggressive from the time he was young. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't really snuggly. I didn't go to him and hug him and pet him um, because basically he and Morgan would just bark really aggressively uh, at anything that moved outside of their fence. Um, and even when I would try to pet him, he would snap at me, just really grumpy. And, um, Morgan seemed to kind of follow his lead. Uh, she didn't snap or bite, but she would just bark. Like she was trying to be as mean as Brown Dog. So I always assumed that Morgan was the same as her dad. Well, Brown Dog passed away when he was to the best of our knowledge, almost 20 years old, Um, which is mind-blowing. He was so tough. He was mean, but he was tough, and he was a survivor. 
And just when we would think he wasn't going to live another winter, he would. And uh, he passed away. And after that, Morgan was by herself for the first time in almost 20 years because she was old, too. Um, And I saw this switch in her. Or maybe it wasn't a switch. Maybe it was without him there, I was actually able to see what kind of dog she really was. Which was the sweetest, most gentle and tender dog I've ever known. And I don't know if I just felt like she was lonely and needed a friend, but I just started hanging out with Morgan all the time. And she got to the point, she was old, she... um As old dogs have that happen to them, they uh, start to lose their sight and their hearing. But every time my car would pull up, before my car was even visible, she was wagging her tail and jumping up and down in the fence. She knew my car. She could sense me coming. And I would let her out of the fence, and I never had to put a leash on her because she just followed me everywhere like a shadow. Um when I was having a hard time, I would drive to my parents' house and I would just go in the gate and just bury my head into Morgan's fur. Um, So I'm not, I don't know how great of a storyteller I am, but that's not the point of this. I really just wanted to talk about the best dog I have ever known who lived to be 19 or 20 years old it's hard for us to tell because we would look at old photographs when they still had the imprint of the date on them and we found these dates that dated back almost 20 years ago when she was a puppy and it's incredible that we had not one but two dogs live two decades and I got the best surprise of all when I learned that Morgan was not aggressive and mean. She was just kind of a follower, but without an aggressive dad to follow, she just became the most loyal, sweet girl. And um, I still really miss her a lot, and it's going to be really hard to top her. Uh, And that is my old dog memory. This is the story of my 65-pound black-and-white pit bull, Jewel. About five years ago, I was driving home late at night. Uh, It was raining. It was probably about 10 p.m. And I lived out in the country, kind of off a county road. And I see a dog up ahead. And I slam on the brakes, pull over, and come up to the dog. And, you know, she... Uh, is wet and she looks really emaciated, really long nails and um, like she's just, you know, been out, uh, out, you know, on her own for a while. Um, and, but she seemed really sweet. Just really, you know, you could tell that she wasn't, wasn't an aggressive dog. And so I got her into my car um, and I just wanted her to be safe. And so I drove um, you know, about a half a mile away from the county road into a neighborhood 
I was not prepared to take this dog home at all, but I did want her to be safe. And so I dropped her off um, in a cul-de-sac in this neighborhood, hoping that, you know, somebody that would be able to take care of her would find her. And as I'm driving home, I just felt, you know, my heart sinking um, because I felt bad and I wanted to, I wanted to take her home, but I just wasn't prepared to. Um, and so anyway, I told the story to the girl I was dating at the time. And the following day, she was driving by that neighborhood and just kind of for the heck of it, she drove into that uh, street and saw that the dog was sitting in somebody's yard almost exactly where I dropped her off more than 12 hours earlier. So she took that as a sign, got the car, got Jewel in the car, got my dog in the car and brought her to the house. And uh, she's been mine ever since, you know, almost five years. Jewel is funny because she's totally harmless when it comes to humans. She doesn't bite. She doesn't, you know, scratch or attack or anything. Um, but her bark is very loud. She's got one volume and it's and it's super loud. And so when people first meet her, they kind of get scared. They think she's aggressive. Um, and usually when guests come over to my house, that you know, she barks for about. 10-15 minutes uh, until she's bored and then she just wants to cuddle and so then people realize oh she's totally harmless um, but it, 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 it's, it's good because you know as annoying as it is sometimes when she's barking really loud uh, you know people come to the door and you know trying to sell me whatever and she'll bark and scare them away and uh, I feel kind of protected um, like I said she's, she's totally harmless but uh, she scares away my racist neighbor, so. Jewel is missing two toes, um, and I don't really know exactly how that happened, but when I brought her to the vet for the first time, uh, the vet said that it looked like the two toes had been surgically removed. And because of, you know, how that um, uh, part of her foot had healed. It looked like it was a pretty clean cut. And my guess is that, you know, she had gotten a brawl with another dog she was scrapping and, uh, you know, maybe had an accident with her toes and they had to be surgically removed. Um, I have no idea. It's kind of, you know, fun to speculate on what her life was like before um, I had her. But I have I just have a feeling that, you know, she started the fight and she won. <laughs> Hi, this is Becky Yant. I live in Sawmills, North Carolina. Um, I have a story about one of my rescue dogs that I had. He, uh, his name was Gibson. Uh, he was my neighbor's dog, and they had a chain-link fence that connected to my land. And when I pulled into my drive, the dog would get up on a cinder block on his hind legs and would just cry. It was a cry. And, of course, I had to go over and pet him after I got parked. And I would they didn't take care of him. 
They didn't pay him any attention. He wasn't fed good. And it's just instantly me and him bonded. I would sneak over food at night. And that went on for a while. Um, we lived behind a Bullock's Tire Garage. Later learned that the guys at the garage called him Lugnut. So that was his AKA. Um, not sure what breed he was. But me and him really bonded just instantly. Um, one day, well, the neighbor, she was had bad health, the owner. And she was in and out of the hospital. She didn't take care of herself. Um, her, me and Jesse was coming in one day, and her dad was at the house... And I learned that he was going to call the pound to come pick him up. And I said, no, I'll take him. So I took him and got his shots and had him checked out at the vet and everything. And um, I had him thereafter. Uh, me and him would start walking. I started walking uh, and I'd put him on a leash and we did a good walk every evening there for a long time. He was so good and well-disciplined that I didn't have to use the leash after a while. Um, but when we went to the park at Sawmills, I would use it being around other people because I wasn't really sure how he would react to people. Um... He was very protective of me. A couple incidents where a man stepped up to me too quickly, my brother being one of them. And before I knew it, Gibson was around his backside and snipping at his backside and got a hold of my brother one day. Um, I would sit on the porch. He'd sit right there with me. Um... We were just best buddies. It was awesome. Um, I do know that the the couple that did have him before me, that he was named after um, a guitar. Um, there was a family issue with my older son, with his girlfriend at the time. And there was a falling out. And But when I was gone for work, Gibson would stay outside, chained up. And on a one Saturday after the, the incident with Wesley and his girlfriend and that family, and they had to move her out of my house, um, I'd left for that Saturday and come back in and Immediately, I always go let Gibson loose and get him in the house and all. 
and he started during that he started acting like something was wrong his breathing took him to the vet and first thing she asked if he had been poisoned and I knew who did it of course I couldn't prove it but I knew so we tried um, some medicine over the night and I laid on the couch that night and he laid on the floor next to me and uh, he had some he was struggling and I wasn't gonna let him suffer so I took him back to the vet the next day and we had to put him down and he's buried in my yard and he'll always be my best buddy and I'll miss him also um, something that happened with Gibson I'm standing out in the yard kind of up towards Bollocks it's me and about two or three guys and another lady we're just in Gibson and we're standing there just talking and before I know it, Gibson's going around, you know, checking everybody out. He cocks his leg and pees on the woman. I was mortified. I got a hold of him and took him to his spot and tied him, chained him up. And the lady was very nice about it. And she said, well, I've got a lot of dogs. And she didn't think nothing of it, but I was mortified. Well, then later, another day, we were walking in the park and I leashed him when we were in the park around people. And there sits on the bench a couple that I knew of from a friend. And we were, I was standing there and Gibson beside him. We were talking. And the next thing I know, with a blink of an eye, Gibson cocks his leg and pees on the lady. Of course, they didn't like it. They were an elderly couple and they didn't like it too good. Again, I'm mortified and embarrassed. Don't know why he did that. Never did it again. Um, so I guess that's it. My husband and I toured for a few years. Right after we got married, he was playing music and I was selling merchandise and during our travels every few months, I would see these dogs, these Boston Terrier dogs, little black and white smush-faced dogs, and I really connected with them. I remember in Montreal at this cafe, somebody had one of these dogs, and I have all these pictures on my phone of, you know, just loving on this dog and um, thinking, you know, one day when I get a dog, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this dog, and... So anyways, years later, like probably three years later or so, I'm at home in Nashville. My partner is traveling and playing music for work still. And I have a, we have a two-year-old son at this time. And I was just dealing with all that is new motherhood and being homebound and um, just feeling really lonesome at the time and my granny uh, invited me to come visit her in Fort Walton Beach and I remember she mailed me a check for gas money so I um, we drive down there my son and I drive down and it's like about a eight hour seven and a half hour eight hour drive and we're on this small two-lane 
highway in the middle of Alabama in the woods, really tall pine trees everywhere and nobody around. I don't know. It's probably like early afternoon and nobody's driving this road except for us. And, um, we're miles away. I mean, we're probably an hour or two from any kind of city and there's this dog in the middle of the road and right on the, on the lines that double yellow lines. And, um, it's a little Boston Terrier pup just sitting in the middle of the road. And I pull over and ask her, you know, where are you going? Where's your owners? And she starts whining at me and I start to pull the car away and she starts whining louder. So I open my door and the moment I do, I I know like when this dog gets in, this is going to be my dog. So she jumps in, she jumps on my lap. She jumps into the passenger seat and turns around a few times and falls asleep. And at that point, I just knew that this was a magic fairy tale moment of finding my dog. Okay, so I look for her owners. I drive up around the street. I'm trying to find, you know, where she's coming from. There are no houses nearby. It's a very rural area, so the houses are far apart. And I drive up a few driveways, and there's, you know, big pit bulls barking at me and the dog won't get out of the car is shaking and scared and so I drive and she looks kind of dirty like she's been lost and I drive to the closest gas station which is 10 minutes up the road and the attendant there doesn't know who she is and has never seen the dog before so I take her to my granny's house in Florida we give her a bath we take her to the vet check her for a chip you know, we get her a collar and a leash. She didn't have a collar on or anything. And we just completely bond with this dog. She doesn't bark. She doesn't, um, bite. She doesn't whine. Even the only time I heard her whine was when she wanted to get into my car and she was perfect. She just wanted to be cuddled and to lay on a couch and, you know, chase a ball in the yard. And my son, who's too, uh, loved her right away. And so we spend about a week with this dog. I get onto Facebook and find the closest town we were near to was called Andalusia, Alabama. So I find their lost pet, uh, Facebook page and post about this dog on there. And so, yeah, about a week after, after having her, I'm fixing to go back to Nashville and somebody messages me, and says, hey, that's my Auntie Joe's dog or something. And some relative of this person uh, reached out about the dog. So on the way back to Nashville, I drive uh, the dog back to her owner's house, which is miles from where I found her. And they have this long gravel driveway with lots of potholes, and I'm driving real slow, and I remember feeling sick because I knew that I had to give her back. And I had just this emotional bond with this animal and felt like she had lifted my spirits so much and just brought complete joy into my life and, um, was so fun and just such a sweet companion. And, um, so, okay. So I'm driving up the driveway and I get there and the late, this lady comes out, she's probably in her mid sixties and It's this, you know, little country ranch house, and she has 
a baby on her hip. She's got five dogs running around her barking. And she has this older disabled daughter who comes out and sits on the porch swing. And she says, thanks so much for finding Charlie Joe. She's always running off. And she's um, just thanking me. And then that was it. And I get in the car with my son and we say our goodbyes. And then we drive away. And I am about 20 minutes away from their house. And I just start crying. And I call my partner and tell him, you know, Hey, I, I really think this is supposed to be my dog. And so he's like, you got to go back and tell her how you feel. And so I turn around, I drive back up the driveway, which just feels really awkward because it's so loud and long. I don't know why the, the drive up the driveway is what I remember the most about the story because I just felt like she was watching me and like, what is this person doing? Why does she keep driving back and forth up my driveway? So I'm coming, I'm coming to her house and I get out and she's like, can you know, can I help you? And I said, uh, we really bonded with this dog. If you ever want to sell her or anything, just here's my number, please reach out. And she says, I mean, we're not, we're not looking to sell her, but yeah, okay. You know, I'll keep your number. And So I do that, I drive away, and I'm, again, you know, 10, 15 minutes up the road, and I just decide to turn around again and go back. So the third time, I go back up this long driveway, and I get up there, and the woman steps out of the house holding this dog's leash, and I think she's going to call the cops or something or throw the leash at me and be like, get off my property, stop coming bothering me. And she walks up to me and looks me in the eyes and she says, she's your dog. And I just burst into tears and started crying and thanking her and telling her, I know I just bonded with this animal and I thank you so much. I will take such good care of her and I'll send you pictures. And okay. So later on, after I've calmed down from my emotional time, uh, the woman tells me that like, Olive, her name's now Olive. We named her Olive. Her name was Charlie Joe at the time. And she tells me that this dog had, she got her from a breeder that's one of her friends. And she tells me that she had two puppies uh, before, like when she was like one year old. She, she wasn't fixed and she got two puppies and they both died when they were born. And she cried for three days she whined and whined and whined and um ever since then she hadn't barked or anything like that and so well I just thought it was sweet because uh we have two kids and I got to bring her back home and later a few years later we had a little girl and now our dog gets to have two puppies that she gets to be around uh human puppies but uh a few weeks later, after I brought Olive home, uh, one of this woman's family members reached out to me and told me that her auntie had um, was taking care of her grandbaby because her um, son's mom or like her son's wife or something had left up and left them and she just had so many responsibilities and already with her daughter who's disabled and 
all the dogs and she said it was such a gift that you showed up and took this dog because she just had one too many things and it was uh, a grace that you know y'all were able to to rehome this dog and I just thought that was wild because it was uh, exactly what I needed at the time to feel um, it just really was a comfort to me to have a companion during that time in my life and um, yeah, so she's still with us today. Her name is Olive. She is nine years old and she still sits in my passenger seat and falls asleep and cuddles all the time. And I think just about everybody who knows me knows my dog, but that's my dog story. I met Frankie in 2012. I was driving down a four lane highway and I saw this little brown puppy running back and forth across the highway, jumping up so happy at all of the cars as if she was trying to play with them and make friends with them. And then getting out of the way before, right before the car would hit her. And I didn't like dogs. I I grew up in a rural area and dogs were not really pets in my world and um I just didn't really you know understand dogs that way. And I saw this puppy and I couldn't let it die and I knew that it was very close. There were cars everywhere. So I stopped my car and put my flashers on, and this dog came up to me with this beautiful, friendly face and these big eyes, and I saw that she had a rope tied around her neck and a jug of water tied to the rope, and that she was starving, and that she had mange. A lot of her hair had fallen out, and... I tried to shoo her off the highway because I was a little scared of dogs. (laughs) And um, I kept trying to get her to go off the highway, but she just kept coming back to me and looking up at me. And I I couldn't make her leave me. And so I put her in the back of my car and I took her to my friend's house where I was going to dinner. And, um... I had no idea how to take care of her, what to do. And she threw up in my car. And I was calling people saying, is this dog going to bite me? What should I do? And when I got to my friend's house, we put her in the yard. And I remember that night after dinner, standing on the porch, looking into that yard at that little dog, so happy playing, running around, looking at the stars, not a care in the world. And I knew I had a dog. And now I love dogs. Now I'm a dog person. I love them. Frankie, Frankie, she melted my icy dog heart. And she changed my life. I love you, Frankie.
My name is Laura, and I'm here to tell you about my old dog, Major. Um, now, we don't even know how old Major was. Um, we never knew how old he was, and sometimes we would joke that he was a lot older than we thought or that the vet said that he was. Um, Major came into our lives, oh, in 2018, I think, and... Um, there's a very good chance that he was already a senior dog, um, but we rescued him um, from some friendly folks home in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, we're not really sure his story at all. Um, someone just dropped him off into a fenced-in yard, um, and that was it. So there's really no backstory to Major, although I have theories. Um, one of my main theories is that maybe Major spent most of his life with an elderly caretaker. Um, he just really always had that old person vibe. Um, so my theory is perhaps his caretaker was elderly and perhaps that caretaker passed away and he may have ended up in the hands of some family member who didn't want him or couldn't care for him um and so anyway they dropped him off in a fenced in yard with uh some other dogs and um that's how we came to have major um one of his nicknames was the mage and um part of that is that major mage just kind of works um, but also he, one of my favorite things that he would do is he would, um, well, he was really attached to whoever his person was and well, his person for the years that we had him really was me. And so, um, you know, he really couldn't take his eyes off me or, you know, he's one of those dogs that would follow you to the bathroom, sit, you know, sit on the rug while you were showering wait for you everywhere and so when we were doing things particularly I was farming and he would come to the farm with me he couldn't he couldn't take his eyes off me for too long so what would end up happening is he would be sitting out in the field or wherever and he'd have his head up watching me but he'd be so sleepy that his eyes would close and he would nod off but he would always keep his head up and so it kind of looked like he was in this zen state of meditation um and he just always seemed like a wise a wise soul and uh so mage the mage was a perfect nickname for him um major really changed um in the later years that we had him and i think this is all due to um a bone cancer that uh he was developing that we didn't know about until his leg got really bad um, and we actually ended up having to amputate the leg so he his last um, six to eight months I believe were three-legged and uh, kind of feel like that was his destiny you know you kind of know the dogs that are gonna end up three-legged and um, you know he really he really took it like a champ he was uh, really great on three legs um, 
and he was really great on four, but I think as the cancer developed, he became more sensitive to the touch. And so in his later year or so, you know, we really couldn't let strangers touch him or get close to him. He would nip. Um, so that was stressful for us as dog owners, but, um, I kind of remained his favorite over the years. And, um, Anyway, despite the old age nipping due to pain, undiagnosed pain, I'd say Major was a very good old dog and a very zinned out pup when he was younger. But, you know, sometimes we joke, we have no idea how old he was. When we first got him, the vet thought maybe four to six, but I don't know. Sometimes we say maybe he, by the time he passed, he must have been like 15 or who knows? Who really knows? But recently, I saw a dog up for adoption in Nashville that is just the spitting image of Major. I couldn't believe it. So, I don't know. For those of you who believe in reincarnation, this may be the next mage. Um, I believe he was adopted already in Nashville. If anybody knows who adopted him, um, please give a shout. Uh, So anyway, that was my... My beloved major. I realize I never really described uh, to you all what major looked like, so let me just paint a picture. Major was very short, but very long. He probably only was about a foot or less tall, but he was maybe three or two and a half feet long with his tail definitely um, three, three and a half feet long. He looked sort of like, we used to call him a Frankenstein dog, Franken dog, because it looked like he was multiple different breeds of dog just like glued together. So he kind of had like a corgi body with really short limbs, a really long tail, like a Labrador or something. And um, even his head kind of looked like a, a Labrador or uh, I don't know, a golden retriever or something. His ears lay flat and were real droopy, um, but they were soft like velvet. And his hair was that really coarse terrier hair. Um, He didn't do a lot of terrier things, except one time he did. We were on a walk on the greenway, and he just out of nowhere grabbed a baby possum from the tall grass shook it around um until it unfortunately died and then just moved on and i never saw him do anything like that ever again i don't know what got into him that day but that was pretty interesting uh his feet also turned out just a just a little bit it was so cute um he was about 25 pounds so he was a small to medium guy but wouldn't quite fit in an airplane carrier which was unfortunate because I wanted to bring him around everywhere but yeah wet black nose brown eyes he was a sweet looking dude and his uh coarse hair you know he had a little beard around his snout and all his hair got got white whiter as we had him but he was always a, a blonde boy a light brown boy so yeah that's major 
Hi, Sarah. Um, okay, this will be my second entry because this one is about Teddy the mini schnauzer. Um, and he passed away in November of 2020, but he, he left a big impression in his lifetime. He was uh, just a wonderful man. Um, the first thing to know about Teddy is that the way I acquired him was that I found him on the street in downtown Los Angeles in 2007. Um, he ran out into a busy intersection and got hit by the car that was driving in front of me and the car just kept going. So I picked him up and he didn't get hit by any of the tires. He went under the undercarriage. So he had some minor injuries but he was okay um and i tried to find his owner and i couldn't and then he just ended up with me for the next 14 years and he was um he was just a wild man he was such an adventure guy and he was really fun and he had a really great sense of humor and was always up to all kinds of antics and we had so many adventures together and we drove cross country a bunch of times and we would go camping and he just loved being part of everything. And so when he got old and he wasn't active as much anymore, I decided to get him. Um, I found this little all-terrain uh, radio flyer red wagon and I lined it with some pillows and quilts and stuff and I would take him out in that and he got to you know, still be like part of whatever we were doing and go visit his friends around the neighborhood and get treats and smell all the smells. And he even went on a couple of hikes in the woods in the little wagon. And I would, I would go with a couple of friends. And when we would get to like a creek or a log or something in the path, they would pick up the wagon and carry it over while they chanted light as a feather stiff as a board light as a feather stiff as a board and he got a lot of good senior adventures that way and um we during that summer his last summer here on earth was with us he um he would come with me to the farm where I got my CSA pickup in Rhode Island and we would we would go my I my friend owned the farm so we would go once or twice a week and hang out and we would put the produce in the wagon with him and I would brush him with the fresh herbs especially the rosemary he always smelled like really good after I brushed him with rosemary and my friend Steph would pick the flowers at the farm and weave him flower crowns and we would put little flower crowns on his head and wheel him all around the farm and he just had a, a lovely time and um yeah that was Teddy and I just wanted him in his very advanced phase of life to know that he was so special and everybody worshipped him so much and he just still got to be part of the gang and be you know treated so well and he loved it and we all miss him very much The final section in this collection is called Hot Doggin'. And it's dedicated to my favorite hot dog, my uncle hot dog, Robert Dwayne Hughes of Winfield, Alabama. He passed away in 2020 
and his personality was clear. I think his entire life, he was very helpful um, in helping me get started in the kind of story collecting work that I do today. And I want to share the story of his nickname. When he was a little boy, it was when they had those red hot dogs and the skin wasn't as thick as it is today. And he was, I believe, three or four and Pete was peeling a hot dog and then started crying. And they asked him, what's wrong, Duane? And he said, a poor little hot dog. And even though, even when he was a great big strong man, we still called him that. And he loved cowboy books and Louis L'Amour and had a cowboy mustache and hats and horses and cool boots. Um, the dogs in this section are defined by personalities or a moment where their ultimate dogginess made a memory for an individual or a family member. The readers in this section are Elizabeth in Nashville, talking about Thomas Williams, um, Rick in Norfolk, talking about Peanut, Aunt Lynn in Alabama, talking about Otis. Laura May in Nashville, hailing from West Virginia, talking about Domino. Casey in Nashville, or Mount Juliet, um, talking about Poncho, the trash dog. And Vaughn in Nashville, talking about Boxy. Um, Also, closing us out is an original song by the one, the only, Sean Thompson, written in memoriam of Levon Thompson. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I'll put some details about how to connect with other projects um, and think of some more dog stories. Maybe we'll do this again next summer. So hold them in your brain and tell them to somebody you love. Until then, here we go. Hello, Sarah. It's me. Elizabeth, I have a dog, old dog story. I think it, I don't know if it's interesting, but my family dog called Thomas was very beloved. I loved him very much. He was part Collie, part English, English setter. It's kind of hard to say. Um, one day after school, I was, I think I was, I don't know. I was in probably fifth grade and uh, I was out in the backyard with Thomas and we were just playing, doing dog owner stuff. And I decided to lay down in the grass. And I remember, I have like a very vivid memory of this. I remember laying down in the grass and looking up at the sky and like experiencing the pleasure of that maybe for the first time like as a a mind that was more fully formed like I I was just thought wow this is nice and I sat there and kind of just was blissing out and Thomas came up and he was sniffing me as dogs do just like just kind of circling me and sniffing and um, I wasn't really paying attention because I was just laying down and looking into the sky and then all of a sudden I 
I think maybe my eyes were closed at this moment. I felt something and I, I looked up and he was peeing on me and he had been sniffing like pre, pre pee sniff. And I felt so violated and it was an incredibly shocking and jarring experience. And I just feel like I've since then just never trusted men. So that's my story. (laughs) When I was a boy, I had a little dog named Peanut. And Peanut was part Manchester, part Chihuahua. And this dog had to grow up in a household with three boys. So we liked playing with Peanut. We loved the dog. But we also aggravated him a lot. And he didn't appreciate it. So he would get back at us, uh, kind of a revenge. When we were sitting on the couch watching television, Peanut would come into the room and jump up and get up next to us. And then he would ease out a fart and he would jump down from the couch, walk to the middle of the room and, and look back at us. And that's just about the time we got the aroma of his little fart. <laughs> and then he would run out of the room followed by a bunch of pillows <laughs> so he got his revenge on us <laughs> so cocker spaniels to me are very smart dogs um we had a young cocker spaniel maybe a year old that when you would try to play horseshoes he would run up to the horseshoe after you would throw it and bark and dig in the ground like he wanted to have a turn. He was a really sweet dog. His name was Otis. The year was approximately 2005. I had my deaf Dalmatian Domino, one blue eye, one brown. And it was Christmas morning. We went to church with my ex-husband, who I still care for dearly. No drama there and his parents. And every Christmas, his mother painstakingly makes these gorgeous cinnamon rolls, which are one of the best things I'd ever eaten. And it was the Christmas morning tradition. We get home from church and Domino, the deaf, beautiful Dalmatian that I'd had since I was an 18-year-old girl, ate every single cinnamon roll, but he spit out every single raisin. Hey, Sarah. Sorry it took me so long to get you my dog story. We've been over in Norway. Excuse me. Uh, (laughs) Oh, gross. All right, well, just edit that part out. Um, I was thinking about old dog stories, and I have so many with Poncho, but um, the one that stuck out the most or, or jumped out at me initially was I used to have that um, 1987 Jeep Comanche with the cool paint job. And one of my favorite things about owning that truck was it was all, you know, it was old and beat up. And Poncho's always dirty and he's always slobbering on stuff. But, you know, with that truck, it was great because I could let him in and it wouldn't matter. And I'd roll the window down and, you know, we'd go for a drive either out to the lake or dog park or whatever. And I could just, I'd roll down the window and let him hang his head out. And he'd, 
you know, smile at cars and drool all over everything. And it was just a two-seater, so usually it was just, uh, just you know, me and my dog cruising around. And, um, uh, you know, one day I remember I was driving into my neighborhood and I must have rolled the window all the way down on accident and um, wasn't paying attention and took a curve kind of fast and <laughs> next thing I knew... Pancho was um, flying out the window, and uh, so I stopped, and I pulled over, thinking, oh, you know, like, Lord, what have I done? And uh, there he was on all fours, just smiling at me, ready to get back in, so I opened the door, and off we went. Um, and I, I figured you'd enjoy it, because I know you like old trucks, so there you go. I love old trucks, and I love old dogs, and that's my story. Hey, I'm Vaughn Walters, and this is a little story about an old friend of mine named Boxy. This was probably 2011 or 2012. Boxy was a very good doggy and had been on tour with us full time, living in the van, seeing pretty much every place in the United States. She loved water, couldn't keep her out of it. Lakes, rivers, oceans, anything. Anyway, we were down in St. Augustine Beach in Florida, hanging out in the ocean and trying to surf. And one of Virga's awesome friends was, I think, a surf instructor and apparently some kind of dog whisperer. He's like, I can get your dog to surf. I was like, uh, dude, there's no way that dog is even going to stand up on that surfboard. But yeah, sure, go for it. And he was very sweet to her and talked to her and got her to stand up on the longboard in calm water. And I was laughing my ass off and also amazed to even see Boxy standing up on the board. But then a mellow wave came in and he gave her a little push and she caught it all the way to the shore. It was a really long ride, kind of in slow motion, and she stayed on it the whole time. I couldn't believe it. Cell phone cameras still kind of sucked back then, but I do have a grainy pixelated picture of Boxy riding it on in, or I wouldn't believe it myself. I always loved watching her pure joy and chasing after anything in the water or getting the absolute hell beat out of her by waves and just loving it but watching her catch that wave all the way to the shore is one of my all-time favorite memories of her. Hey, my name is Sean, and um, this is a song about my dog that uh, recently left this realm, and um, he was eight, and I had had him since he was basically two months old, and he was with me through pretty much every life, major life change uh, that I experienced since like, you know, 23 or so. And I um, started writing this song in this last tour that I was on uh, in Marfa, Texas. And uh, I just recently got to finish it. And, you know, it's about um, him barking at people a lot and also uh, peeing on every bush that he could muster and um, it kind of taught me how to lay back and appreciate my surroundings more because the only other choice was to be like you know mad at my dog for peeing on everything and so this is an homage to him and I love that boy Oh. 
Thanks again so much to all of our contributors. This project has brought me so much joy. I hope it's brought you joy too. And I hope it, I hope you'll send it to somebody who will get a kick out of it. One very quick note, Kathy does not live in New Hampshire. I said that wrong. She lives in Rhode Island. Um, please listen along with us weekly, at least through the end of the year, for my experimental audio everyday dispatch project called daily dispatches so on the feature that you've listened to this podcast on um and our larger project is called daily fieldwork it's kind of an ethnographic storytelling project that includes scenes and videos and audio you can follow us on instagram at daily fieldwork or you can email me at gmail at i'm daily fieldworking i am D-A-I-L-Y-F-I-E-L-D-W-O-R-K-I-N-G at gmail.com. Please reach out if you have any questions or anything to say. And please hang on to all your dog stories because it's likely that we'll do this again next summer. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.